Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Earlier on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. All right, what the heck's going on with NIL? We'll talk with Dan Lust about that coming up at 9 o'clock. KB and Andy, wake-up call. A couple different things. Uh, It is NFL Combine Week. KB, did you see the fight with Cam Newton yesterday by any chance? I did. I need some details. I need details immediately. And, you know, I've even, during the break here, was looking around the internet. There's still no details. So, for people that don't know, in Atlanta, there's a 7-on-7 tournament that's invite-only. And I don't know if it's Cam Newton's uh, tournament or uh, if he is there promoting. He's obviously involved. And there's like a tent that you would see us doing like a live remote at. Okay. There's a pop-up tent and there's some sort of skirmish. Cam is there and some guy. Now, have you seen the video? You've seen the video, right? Some guy throws a haymaker at Cam. Yeah. He looks like he's trying to stop Cam on fourth Uh, and one wildcat. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so Cam, again, is a huge human being. I mean, this guy is like, what, 6'4", 6'5", 250. This guy is an edge rusher. He is just a massive human being. And so Cam kind of has one guy in a headlock and is grabbing another guy by the back of the shirt and is controlling the situation. But I didn't know, you know, they said, uh, you know, I don't know if this was a grown man. I don't know if this was a high school kid who was taking a shot at Cam Newton, but that's the video. And then, of course, everyone's having fun with it because Cam is wearing one of his hats that he wears, you know, that he's made famous. Not a top hat. I don't know what you would call it. It's a fashion hat yeah. of some kind. Something Lincoln more yeah, back in the and, day. And the, uh, the hat doesn't move while there is this skirmish. And finally, I think a cop is there and security uh, and camp people and everything else. But, I mean, if this was like a high school kid who took a haymaker at Camp Newton, I, that's an unbelievable story. It's un- it's unbelievable video, and it came out yesterday. It really is unbelievable. Do you, re- do you respect a high school kid if that was... How this situation played out? No, no. But here's why. I know we're having fun with it. Because if Cam is like giving his time and energy and or money for some stupid seven on seven camp that's invite only and you guys are punching him and going at him, like, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. That, that kid shouldn't be playing college football anywhere. They weren't happy about the accessibility of the flags and the ability to get those <laughs> out. Yeah, uh, again, oh, Combine man. Week is here for the NFL. Again, it's a glorious day weather-wise. Doesn't sound like it's going to be nearly at this level of temperature all week long, but still pretty nice start to the week. I would say the big kind of news item exiting our show Friday NFL-wise, two things. Uh, the salary cap, we did get kind of official number yeah. on that. And this has been a jump over the years. And that's why when we get into this Michael Pittman Jr. contract talk, Andy, you know, people are going to be appalled by the final number of what Pittman Jr.'s contract is going to be. A lot of this we should probably view in more percentages of the cap and not like the raw number of whatever, $25 million annually or whatever it's going to be for Pittman Jr. That franchise tag number. If and when the Colts do give that to Michael Pittman Jr., and again, they've got eight days left to decide if they are going to do that or not, $21.8 million. That is the number for the franchise tag for Pittman. Again, with the new salary cap at $255 million for this coming season, that's a $31 million jump from last year. The Colts have just north of $70 million. I think that places them sixth among NFL teams, and as we said for weeks now, uh, that is a huge number. It's obviously a notable number, but you got to think a large chunk of that could indeed go to your in-house guys. Sure. I mean, if Pittman's going to be around the mid twenties, you know, how much is Grover Stewart? How much is Kenny Moore? How much is Julian Blackman? Do they re-sign all those guys? What about Minshew? What about Zach Moss? So uh, that 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 seventy million, seventy-two million, that could go in a hurry there. But we do have some official numbers, which is always important because. So much of Combine Week, Andy, not just the 321 prospects in town. It's you're Chris Ballard, and I'm CAA's whatever head of agency for the NFL. We're meeting about clients. That is a huge, huge part of what this week is about with free agency beginning 
two weeks from Wednesday. Yeah, I might have to pull uh, Brian Dable aside, you know, maybe at the Combine this week and maybe have a little heart-to-heart with him. I'm sure he'll be kind, thrilled. Kind of, uh, you want to you come down there? You can talk to Eberflus and kind of get the lay of the land on what they're going to do with Justin Fields. Isn't that the story mm-hmm. of this weekend is going to be what happens with Justin Fields? I was reading reports. They think the framework of the deal will probably be done. Hell, the deal could be done while we're broadcasting down there uh, at some point. Justin well, remember, Fields probably gets moved. Speaking of trades, you know, the DeForce Buckner trade really picked up steam combine week. Sure. Again, publicly wasn't known for a little bit longer than that, but this is always the time of year where that stuff really, really ramps up. Mark, if I'm not mistaken, last year I believe the Bears and the Panthers trade mm-hmm. really picked up steam right around this time Yeah, about as well. a, a couple days after the combines when that trade was announced. So I, I expect something similar with Justin Fields because they're going to want to make that move before free agency starts and then quarterback positions start getting taken on rosters. So I can see where that move that's when the big moves coming out of the combine, I believe, that will happen. I, I would that? say Colts-related items for me. Um, obviously, the Pittman Jr. storyline speaks for itself. Again, we'll hear from Chris Bauer, Shane Steichen on Wednesday. Chris will join us Thursday morning. You know, where is draft depth? Um, I think we have a general idea, and we'll have some draft people on this week. I think we have a general idea. Not very top-heavy defense. Um, Wideout-wise, pretty good. Offensive tackle, pretty good. Uh, obviously, some quarterbacks that are going to hear their name called very early. But draft depth, to me, has to impact what you do in free agency. And so, you know, what is that trickle-down effect for the Colts? Obviously, the other in-house free agent news. You know, is there anything on the Anthony Richardson front? This might not be, like, a pressing storyline, but I am curious this with Richardson. Do they view this time, and again, he's been thrown for a couple weeks now. Do they view this time, Andy, as, like, if we need to retool anything with his motion, this is the time to do that. Again, I don't think that's necessarily something that they need to do, but do you view this as like, all right, this is kind of a rebuild, not a start over, but it's a great chance to take care of some things that we maybe would have tweaked or tried to tweak you know, in a normal offseason. So is there anything with him mechanically, you know, again, fundamentally, that you want to get done now that he is back up and throwing? And I'm not going to act like Shane Seconds going to reveal much, but you know he did make a couple defensive staff changes, D-line specifically. They did set a franchise record for sacks. What were you not getting out of that group that felt that you felt like you uh, needed to make a change there? So those are a couple Colts-related story uh, lines for me. Yeah, I, I would say that's the same. And I and boy, I I know your answer to this. We don't expect. And so we know he's not probably going to give much of an answer, but we don't expect there to be an answer on Michael Pittman by the time Chris Ballard, A, speaks on Wednesday, or B, comes on the air with us on Thursday morning, right? You know, probably nothing official, but I, I mean, who knows? If he you know meets with Pittman's representation tonight and all of a sudden he gets there to... You know, Wednesday morning or Wednesday afternoon when he meets the media in a group setting, does he say something effective? We met with Michael's people. We feel really good about it. We're going to get something done. What that looks like, I don't know what it is, but, you know, maybe he says something to that effect. But for the most part, I kind of thought they'd get much closer to the back end of this two-week window, which again, Tuesday, March 5th, that is the back end of the franchise window. That's when it closes. So we're six days in, eight days to go. Um, I would say it's more of just the how. How does it look unless of the does it get done? I, I, I'd i be stunned if it didn't get done. It's more of just the how behind it. Uh, a couple different things. Again, Dan Lust is going to join us coming up uh, at about 9 o'clock. We'll have Kaylin Collar in studio. Uh, we'll get her the, the uh, correct pronunciation on her name. She's going to join us from The Athletic at about 9.30 or so. We'll do the, our uh, Goats of the Weekend. Cannot wait to see what you guys got cooking for that at about 8.30 or so. Two other things for the Combine this week, and then we can get back into the Pacers. You mentioned T. Higgins. T. Higgins gets franchise tagged, and that's not surprising, right? There's several reasons it's not surprising. The two that immediately come to my mind, Warren Sharp put this out over the weekend uh, of teams with the percentage of offensive snap from players in the first three years in the NFL. So in other words, how much are you playing young guys on your roster, guys that you just drafted within the last couple years? There's no surprise. Who do you think is number one on that list? It's a Green Bay Packers. Sorry, Mark. 63% 
of the players of their snaps are guys that are just in the NFL over the last three years. The Bengals are last on that list, KB, at 20%. So the Bengals, who are good, who just had to pay Joe Burrow, who are going to have to pay Jamar Chase, who are losing Tyler Boyd, it was no surprise that they went and they franchise-tagged T. Higgins. That was not a surprise. The other thing to watch this week, and I want you guys' thoughts on this as well. The NFL is looking at the XFL kickoff rule. Have you seen this? Have yeah. you followed this at all? Is it? And remind me, and it's it's probably easier to watch than is to like paint the picture. It's like more of a um like an end around sort of looking play, right? Well, he, here's what they're discussing, okay? Because no one's wa- no one watches the XFL. I'm not asking you to say, okay, what does the XFL look like when they do a kickoff? You're not going to know, and I'm not going to know. So the kicker kicks off from the 30-yard line, okay? We all understand that, okay? The rest of the kickoff team is on the other side of the field, on the opposite 35-yard line. And they're lined up 10 yards away from the receiving uh, team that's at the 25-yard line. It eliminates the big collisions. And so, yeah, it eliminates the big collisions, but they're 10 yards apart. So the kicker can kick off. And then the returner catches the ball, okay? They're the only two allowed to move before the ball is caught. And then when the ball is caught, you have one team at the 30 and you have uh, at the 35 and you have one team at the 25. And that's how they do the kickoff. Bunch of like punt gunner stuff. Well, I just, I, I, I just find it interesting because the NFL believes, and what I don't understand is the NFL, they, because of the injuries, because of concussions, because of a litany of things, KB, they wanted to get rid of the kickoff, essentially, without getting rid of the kickoff. They did this how many years ago? And they did it, and so, I I don't know, it's worked out for them. There's not, you know, you're not getting those injuries. You're not getting big hits at all on the kickoff. I thought this is what they wanted, but the play has become a sham, and it has become a complete waste of time. We all would agree with that. And so now, is the NFL actually going to, A, change something, and B, are they going to change something by using the XFL as a model? And I listen, I never watched these other leagues. The Rock's involved in a bunch of these leagues when it was Vince McMahon and he hate me uh, in the XFL. I've never been one to really watch much of these I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I would be fine if they tried this. This would add something potentially to the game. Again, the kicker would kick off from the 30. The rest of the kickoff team would be on the other side of the field at the opposite 35. The ki- the receiving team would be at the 25-yard line, and then the guy would receive the ball, and there we go. I don't know. It's I've seen some highlights of it, about. and I actually kind of like what I see. I I, I I mentioned like end around, you know, teams that are returning the kick, they do some creative things and, you know, how they, you know, try to do misdirection there. And again, how they try to create a little bit of yardage. So that is a big part of this week as well. Competition committee stuff. What happens there? Cam was curious about when does a legal tampering period start? Uh, I could insert a joke here and it starts inside of Prime 47 uh, later tonight. Uh, In all seriousness, though, two weeks from today is when... That begins. So to map out a calendar of, again, what the next couple of weeks look like because the quiet nature of the Colts offseason is over. Combine week this week. Again, Ballard, Steichen Wednesday. Ballard with us Thursday. By Tuesday, March 5th, you've got to use the franchise tag or not. That's when the window closes. So the Colts have eight days left with that. March 11th, so two weeks from today, is when the, again, legal, and I say that in quotes, tampering period opens up for teams and other free agents and free agency officially begins March 13th. So in this next two week and two day window, you're going to get a lot of news items and, you know, to Mark's point, you know, Justin Fields trade, you know, uh, just those other storylines will start to take shape a little bit. And the Colts will have decisions to make a course on their in-house guys so far. Nothing on that. That's not too surprising. Um, Do we see anything though happen before the new league year gets here? Uh, on Wednesday, March thirteenth. Yeah, we'll see about all of that. Uh, I, I'm not exact. I'm not exactly sure we will. Did you happen to see last thing on the NFL? Did you happen to see AJ Brown and the Eagles? Have you Have you followed this story at all? And again, I don't think there's a chance that a team 
is going to be able to get A.J. Brown. The Colts, you know, are going to be able to get A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown went on WIP, which is local sports radio there in Philly, uh, and says, I have no problem. I want to be here. It's as simple as that. There are rumors that several Eagle players are kind of rubbing up against Jalen Hurts. Have you seen any of this? No. And that potentially A.J. Brown is unhappy there in Philadelphia. I'm nervous. Just, Rubbing up against Jalen Hurts. Well, they, what are we? Well, that they're. The, they want they, Marcus Mariota to be the starter. I, well, I, I don't well, follow. Yeah. Well, yeah, that the, they don't. That maybe there's some. There's a schism there between Jalen Hurts and some of the Philadelphia Eagle guys. I'm just throwing it out there. A.J. Brown. That might be the dumbest could, thing I've ever heard. Potentially could be unhappy. I don't know. I'm just I heard A.J. Brown there. clap back and said he wants to stay in Philly, so that's I don't what know. He, that's what he said. I, I, I'm more confused by the Eagles players that have had issues with Jalen Hurts. <laughs> have they seen the alternative? <laughs> well, they won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Well, yeah. It, <laughs> Boy, we sound terrible, don't we? Carson Wentz's our, MVP season our, getting them to that point until lungs, he tore his ACL. Our lungs are struggling right now. We have three sets of lungs. So this in is the a real stir- story oh, yeah, about Jalen Hurts. Yeah, it was on ESPN.com. It's on the front of ESPN.com. I guess it's been called BS. There's been a bunch of uh, Eagle news ever since they had the fallout. Like, remember the guy that who was the guy? It wasn't like Big Ed. Who was the guy that got kicked off the sideline? Big Dom. Was it Big Dom? That apparently Big Dom was the one that controlled Nick Sirianni on the sideline, and now he doesn't have anyone to control him on the sideline. And Big Dom's been kicked off the sideline. I love it. So no Aaron Neesmith tonight? Is that no, what Carlisle uh, said Carlisle afterwards? Carlisle said it after the game. No Aaron Neesmith tonight. So that'll be two weeks coming up on Wednesday for him. Uh, sound like he was doing a little bit more practice over the weekend. But again, back-to-back for the Pacers tonight. They will have Toronto in this one. I guess Bruce Brown returning to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Don't think that draws a whole lot of attention on that end there. Uh, but again, the Pacers, four-game homestand. They are now 2-0 and on that. It'll be Toronto tonight, Pelicans on Wednesday. I have a question for you on the Pacers. Yeah. Uh, Alex Golden put this out on Twitter during the game yesterday uh, when Ben Shepard was playing well, and he played well. Obviously, uh, you think they're in the fourth quarter. He And he put out, and again, I... You know, you, you think of positions, positionless basketball, you know, how much things align. That's why I was going to ask you. You know, he said basically, you know, especially, you know, down the stretch, um, when you get into the playoffs, he thinks Ben Shepard has earned that playing time over Doug McDermott. Do you see it as one or the other when the roster gets cut down a little bit as we progress later in the season. I mean, Ben Shepard is playing better than Doug McDermott is. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Well, he certainly gives you a little bit more on the defensive end of the floor. Um, I, I've really liked Shepard for about the past month or so, even though it hasn't popped up in the box score. He just strikes me as more of a trustworthy guy than you would think a lot of rookies would be. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to play the numbers game a little bit. I guess, what, Shepard would be the ninth and Doug would be the tenth? Probably. If you want to... Look at it like that. I'm trying to think. Six, seven, eight would be like Matherin, McConnell, Toppin, Toppin, Shepard, probably. What about Jalen Smith, too? Yeah, Jalen Smith's back. Who made his return yesterday. So, yeah, that could be 10 or 11 there. Um, There's going to be an odd man out somewhere. Yeah, I think a lot of it can be situationally, too, like game-wise. You know, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a little bit more? Because Shepard has not shot it great until lately. Um, and, and he has started to shoot it a lot, lot better. But, you know, it's a question I want to throw Rick's way when he joins us on tomorrow's show of, I mean, Shepard, they clearly have a lot of faith in. And, I mean, Andy, this isn't a Tuesday night of Valpo that he was playing last year or a Tuesday night in, you know, whatever, uh, Carbondale. Like, I mean, this is pretty darn impressive. Last night, Kyrie goes on a 9-0 run by himself. And all of a sudden, here come the Mavericks, and you're just waiting for it to happen, and Luka's doing Luka things, and it's 104-100, and I'm thinking to myself, when they go to timeout, Pacers about to get outstarred in the fourth quarter. And this is kind of what Dallas does. It's what they've done all month long here in February. Uh, they've been healthy. They they made the trade. Luka and Kyrie have been outstanding. This is what Luka did the other night against Phoenix, and they won their first game back from the All-Star break. And then, boom, Shepard hits a three. I think Toppin maybe hit one on the next possession. And, and then they, if, they hit two or three right in a row. And, and then if he trips the down later, yeah. Shepard takes a shot that I think a lot of people would have been like, whoa, were you sure about that? But clearly he's a confident kid after just hitting it a few trips down earlier, and he hits that second one there. So 
Yeah, I, I, as of now, I, I don't think that's the craziest thought in the world. I think you can kind of pick and choose your spots when you get in the playoffs. Of Again, games can kind of dictate a lot of exactly what you need. And, you know, Obi Toppin, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson. Do Is that three guys for two spots? You know, do one of them kind of get pinched out. Uh, those will all be... You know, great, great problems to have when the playoffs do arise. Again, we've talked about the jumbled nature of the Eastern Conference a lot. I mean, look at these standings right now. With the Pacers winning three in a row, now all of a sudden, they're knocking on four or five seed. And if you lose three in a row, it's the other way. You're like in the playing game. But with Indiana right now, they've got the head-to-head over Philly. They've got the head-to-head over New York. If they continue to get on a little run here to start the second half, you know, they're going to be getting to the month of March, and they're going to be in a home playoff series <laughs> control as that four seed. It was a good weekend. The Sixers lost, they're injured. The Knicks lost, and they're injured as well. It's a good weekend for the Pacers. Uh, all right, on the other side, we'll continue uh, to talk a little hoopage. Do we have to get into court storming? I think we're contractually obligated to talk about it at some point today. So, yeah, we have to. Am I allowed to defend it, or is that no? Oh, you can defend it. I, I like court storming for the most part. Uh, I did hear on ESPN Radio, Canty this morning was thinking that Filipowski, he threw his leg out. A little bit. I had not heard that theory, so we can talk about that as well. Can we blame Flip and blame Caitlin Clark for both the court stormings? I got no... Are you allowed to blame Caitlin Clark on anything right now? That's a dangerous stake to have. Uh, we'll do that coming up in the 8 o'clock hour again. It is the wake-up call here on a Monday. Beautiful-looking Monday here in Indianapolis. Hopefully you can enjoy it. Thanks for spending it with us. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Let's do our go to the weekend. Who is the goat? I told you all that I was the greatest of all time. Jordan, here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! That's what I'm talking about. That's why he's MVP. That's why he's the goat. The goat. Or goat. <laughs> this guy sucks. Of the week. The good and bad of the weekend are goats of the weekend. Uh, I'm ready to go. I'll give you my good goat of the weekend. You ready for this? Let's hear it. It involves Mark Dykton. I'm gonna under I'm I'm interested if Mark knows where I'm going here. So in the wee hours of what was it, Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. Cody Bellinger signed a three-year deal with the Chicago Cubs. Now there's all sorts of player options, so it's you know, may may, you know, might end up being more of a one or two-year deal, but he was a big free agent. Mm -hmm. The Cubs wanted to keep him. Jeff Passan broke the story. You know, he breaks many stories in Major League Baseball. Did you see who actually broke the story, though, Mark? Have you followed this at all? I mean, it was like five in the morning when it broke, so I was was, was not paying attention. It was even earlier. A woman by the name of Lisa on Twitter tweeted at Passan, Hey, have have you heard anything? My friend in they're in Arizona, right? That's mm-hmm. where the spring training yep. is. Mesa. My 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 friend in Arizona said the Cubs just locked up Cody Bellinger. And she tweeted this at like 2 a.m. And so everyone's like, you know, tweeting about it. Lisa doesn't know what she's talking about. Three hours later, Jeff Passan puts out there Cody Bellinger three-year deal with the Chicago Cubs. And simply known on the internet as Lisa was the one that reported Bellinger to the Chicago Cubs in the wee hours of Saturday morning. Go to the weekend. Good for her. Lisa on the internet could probably get you in trouble if you Mm -hmm. were to search that there. Shout out to her. Do we know anything about her? Is she a friend? An acquaintance of Mr. Bellinger? Uh, ab- no, absolutely nothing about her other than Lisa. That Lisa explains the passing tweet that said Lisa was right because I saw yeah. that and I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Yep, Lisa was right. Mark, I'm indirectly going to go for my goat from the weekend to you. Uh, the scene last night of Patrick Kane scoring that you guys game. Are stealing all my oh, stuff. Wow. Winning goal. Again, I, I, I guess we talked about this a little bit in the old court storming debate. <clears throat> I love. Tradition. I love the raw emotion of sports. I love pageantry and just, you know, creating those scenes that you don't get normally. Last night was one of those in hockey for him, you know, going back to um to Chicago and mm-hmm. that raw emotion that you see from him, 
uh, scoring that goal. Uh, obviously, the crap. I mean, that that like that's stuff you can't really script. So uh, that to me, I, I, we don't get it too often in professional sports. Like I don't think Bruce Brown will create that tonight. Of course, here uh, back at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, but for Patrick Kane and Mark, you can probably speak to it better. Uh, certainly, one of the more decorated Blackhawks ever. Uh, for him to have that moment. I know you probably didn't love it, uh, but I thought it was pretty darn cool. I actually did like it because I love Patrick Kane and it stinks that he's in a Red Wings jersey, but that was still a hell of a way to end it. And it was a crazy Breakaway night. goal for those that missed yeah. it in OT. It was a crazy night in the uh, United Center anyway because it was also Chris Chelios' retirement night. So Michael Jordan was in the house. He couldn't be there for the Bulls reunion, of course, but he's there for the Chelios <laughs> reunion and all that stuff. So it was a who's who. If you missed it, here's what the sound oh, of the this. goal. We have sound. About. I like this. It's Patrick Kane in Chicago. Oh, oh my God. Kane with the overtime winner. The Red Wings win it 3-2. The story is complete on Kane's return to Chicago. I love and that's that the call. sound on the Bally's uh, call in Detroit. But you can hear by the crowd, it's a home game for the Blackhawks. But the fans loved every second well, of Patrick King. I love King the, the um, again, kind of the overhead shot of it all. You can see K. Cherry picks not the right phrase, but you can kind of see him getting ready to leak out. Like he he knows there's an opportunity here to have that moment. Uh, quite the cool scene. Yeah, there. I mean th- that was my bad, but it was a good bad because it was in a Red Wings jersey. But that was my good bad, and then my good was Cody Bellinger signing with the Cubs. I think oh, it's a good this? deal for. For the Cubs and Bellinger, because it's a three-year deal, but there are player opt-outs in both the first two years. But $30 million the first two years, $20 million in the third year if he chooses to stay. That's far below the expectation that he was going to get a $200 million contract. But uh, very good for the Cubs. They made a move for Bellinger. They brought him back. Now add another bat and another arm, and we are good to go. Baseball talk. Yes, sir. Baseball and hockey talk on a Monday. Who's got it better than us? All right, my, my, uh, my bat of the weekend... It's got to be Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo lost at home to Ohio State. Uh, and Ohio State and their interim coach. Is Jake Diebler getting the job? I, I don't know. It's uh, He beat Purdue, then he lost to Minnesota, and then he went on the road and beat Ohio State. Those are the three games in which he's coached. But, you know, they're very much a bubble team. Michigan State has been. We've done a lot of Indiana talk. Indiana and Michigan State are two teams that are directly responsible for the Big Ten being as blah as it's been this season. Period. End of discussion. Michigan State, they lost to Iowa on Tuesday as a 10-point favorite, and they lost to Ohio State at home on Sunday as a 9.5-point favorite. Back-to-back home losses to NIT-type teams in the Big Ten. Uh, Izzo supposed to get his teams ready late February, moving into March. They have been talked about and they have been easily to me the most disappointing team in the country this season they were they were seen as a one or a two seed before the season KB my negative goat of the week and this probably dates back a little bit to last week when the chatter continued to rise on the expansion of the NCAA tournament I mean you just Ugh. debated Michigan State Ugh. and their resume we, we you know we debate whatever Butler and their resume Indiana State if they fall into the at-large pool can you imagine if no. we stretch this to 96 or 128 whatever we're going to do, and the types of resumes we are going to be debating here. Again, the regular season should have some merit. There should be some anticipation for these games, and you should have to earn I know. a spot and not be given it. And so, I mean, you can already largely schedule your way to the bubble. I mean, with how you can manipulate, especially the power conference teams, how you can manipulate the schedule and those sorts of things, you can create a pretty darn good-looking resume without having a ton of success, actually. Um, and then all of a sudden, if we're going to expand it to 96 or 128, and I really hope when that con- when that time comes, I don't all of a sudden change. But like, it's the greatest thing in the world. I love having an extra two days of the tournament. No. Uh, there should be zero expansion of the tournament. He- Hell, I-, I-, I wouldn't even mind it going back to 64, but I don't know. Maybe you can talk me into Dayton. Uh, 68 is fine. Don't touch it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about. I did see, I did see a graphic that we would be talking about teams like Florida State, who's 14 and 13. We'd be talking about teams like Rutgers at 14 and 13. Uh, we've been I mean, ta- hell. I, I use mean, 14 yeah, and 13. Would we be talking about them? I, I, I mean, we possibly would, but no, we'd be talking about teams. I mean, what that the very hell? much would be 500 type teams. It's that, ridiculous. That is just, again, this is not high school participation trophy. Everybody gets into the tournament. You should have 
to earn that spot. And I'm a big believer in the conference tournaments provide such an opportunity for you. You've got to position 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 yourself for that. It's not easy, but if you can get on a run in your conference tournament, boom, that is your chance to make up for a poor regular season, however you want to describe it. So that's my negative goat. Of uh, you, you want to talk about a way to completely water down the regular season and make it meaningless? That would be how you do it. Well, yeah. and, and again, where you're going to have one or two teams that in that first era of the new tournament that'll get on a run and everyone will sit there and be like, this is exactly why that you do it. There has to be an element of November to March should matter. It should have some merit to it. It doesn't need to be the end-all be-all. We got 68 of 330-some teams make it. And again, the high major conferences, that percentage is a lot higher uh, based off, we know the mid-majors, tons of them are you know one-bid leagues, so they don't fall into the same boat to be able to make the tournament. So uh, yeah, I'm steadfast in that the NCAA tournament should not expand the whatsoever. N- the NFL and even college football, they can add a little bit and and we're fine with it. We'll roll with it. But Major League Baseball cannot. Um, hockey cannot. Good God, we know the NBA and the battle over their schedule. They cannot. These other sports cannot. And college basketball thinks giving us a watered-down product is something that we're going to watch. We only do that with football, and we only do it within the construct, quite frankly, of the NFL. We don't watch the Arena League. We don't. We don't watch the CFL. We don't watch the XFL or the USFL. All these different uh, entities that are out there. I don't know why they think this is a good idea. By the way, as a um, as an aside, I could have went with Tony Bennett. Virginia scored under fifty points, KB, in three straight games. That's tough to do. Yeah, they have been. That's not easy. And Rick Carlisle was at yeah. one of those games, right? I mean, can you imagine Rick Carlisle sitting there, his offensive philosophy, watching Tony Bennett score 47 points in a basketball game? Yeah. Painful. Painful. Uh, All right, coming up, 9 o'clock hour again. uh, We'll talk that NIL news item that kind of came out, I guess it would have been Friday night there, the Wild Wild West getting even wilder on that end. All right, 9 o'clock hour, as always, hanging out with you in the drivehubler.com studios. KB and Andy, wake-up call here uh, on the Fan Combine Week in Indianapolis. We'll be out there, the convention center, uh, right down the street from us, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard will be meeting with the media coming up on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, We are slotted to have General Manager Chris Ballard on our air uh, on this show coming up 9.30 on Thursday. So it's going to be a fun week. Uh, Cannot wait for it as well. All right, so let's, uh, all the college basketball conversation we've had, the court storming conversation uh, we've had, and all the combine stuff. We'll pause it here for a couple minutes because over the weekend, uh, a story that was a big story, I think on Friday, maybe slid under the radar the rest of the weekend, and that is a federal judge, uh, an injunction in the Tennessee case, and what that means for NIL, for NIL collectives, the Wild West right now, that is name, image, and likeness. And to talk about it, Dan Lust joins us here uh, on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He's a law professor at New York Law School. He's host of the podcast Conduct Detrimental. You can find him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. Dan, good morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Can you catch us up on this story? Obviously, we know Tennessee sued the NCAA and then a federal judge, the injunction. Uh, take us from the beginning and all also, what happened this weekend and what it means for NIL and collectives. Good morning. And uh, it's funny that you said that this flew under the radar. In my world, this is a five-alarm fire. That's <laughs> sure. all I'm seeing on my feet. So uh, we must have different algorithms over here. But, yes, I'll, I'll kind of wor- work us up to the present and explain the significance of this case. So, um, you know, unless you're living under a rock, the NIL era has been in full effect since July of 2021. And in that time frame, you know, now we're going on about two and a half years. The NCAA has really not punished any schools, seldom for Miami women's basketball, Florida State football, but that's really it, two punishments in a a two-and-a-half-year period. So what happened really in February of 2024, very recently, there were two announcements, one that Florida University was being investigated for potential punishments, um, and that would be the third 
we'll say, investigation or punishment in the state of Florida. And then it was announced that Tennessee University was being investigated for a uh, potential infractions relating to one of their collectives. And the collective is a very fancy way to say boosters that have pulled their money together to try to pay college athletes. So Tennessee is the first investigation of a, of a high-profile magnitude that was announced outside of the state of Florida. And what happened is Tennessee's attorney general said, listen, state law allows us to do this, and the fact that the NCAA says that we can't is in conflict with our state laws, and we want to therefore in the NCA's ability to punish us as Tennessee. And all the states around the country were looking at this because this is very apropos around the country that state law allows this to happen. And the NCA's rules are in violation of state law. Um, so this was a, a lawsuit that was filed really earlier in February. Um, and what we had on Friday, late Friday afternoon, is the judge agreed with Tennessee and said, listen, we are going to enact a preliminary injunction, what you might call a, a temporary restraining order. We are not going to allow the NCA to punish or otherwise investigate schools where it conflicts with state law. So I'm happy to break it down further, but the NCA is very much, uh, let's say they have these big fangs like they were vampires. We've now filed the fangs down and they have no teeth for the foreseeable future to punish any schools for these types of infractions. What's the next move for the NCAA then in all of this? You know, it's twofold. They can certainly appeal this, right? So it's not a final ruling. They can send this up to the next uh, level of courts in Tennessee. It's a federal court case. And this could get even higher, certainly, number one. Uh, and number two, what I think is the more realistic option um, is that Tennessee is, or Tennessee's lawsuit here is going to force the NCA to try to go to Congress, get in their hands and knees, and beg for what we would call an antitrust exemption. That's, that's where this is all coming from. The NCA's ability to curtail competition in the sake of saving amateurism. The courts don't agree that the NCA can do this, but if Congress says, yes, the NCA can do this and they have a right to curtail competition in the sake of preserving competition, preserving amateurism, that's the NCA's trump card, so to speak. Um, you know, they've tried, I think, upwards of 10 times to go to Congress, but this is something that might be a game changer for Congress to say, you know what? Maybe it's time to save the NCA, but so far, at least, Congress hasn't felt the need to do anything. They've had a whole bunch of nothing, 10 congressional hearings, and no federal laws to speak of, no antitrust exemptions. But I think that's the NCA's next move here. And certainly they've appointed Charlie, Brake, Charlie Baker to be the new NCA president. He's a former governor of Massachusetts. That's the political power you, you brought this guy on board for. And I, I think that's the, the NCA's next chess move here. And he's uh, Dan Lust, Sports Law Lust. You can follow him on Twitter. Join us here on the Pay Less Slickers Hotline. Dan, is this just me and the rich get richer, the collectives that had the most money and were willing to, whatever, fudge some rules uh, prior are now certainly have uh, handcuffs off with all of that? Yeah, and, and I, I think it's a fair point. And I think, you know, people are saying the floodgates are open. And I'm like, well... I'm not sure how much these collectives were scared of the NCA beforehand. So, sure. you know, I don't see such a seismic shift. If anything, you might have the less or the more risk averse collectives for the smaller programs. And maybe they, they start to get more aggressive. But I don't think this changes very much the operating procedure of those collectives, which have been doing this for some time. I think the interesting part, which I kind of fast forwarded through. Tennessee was being, you know, investigated or potentially punished for actions that occurred you know, as far back as 2021 and 2022. So, you know, there, there was some school of thought that said, this isn't going to change the landscape because all these schools are already doing this in 2023 and 2024. Why are we punishing what Tennessee did in 2021? So, yeah, I think there's certainly a version that says the rich get richer, but I think the, more, the, the better way to look at it is that, you know, for all these people out here saying that this was the wild, wild west, there is no sheriff anymore because the NCAA can't punish activities. So there is no sheriff. So whatever phrasing, why one would call it the wild, wild west, there's no one in town to police this. The federal government doesn't want to do it. The NCAA is now being punished and being, uh, you know, uh, you know, told in state court that they're wrong. So I'm not sure who's there to punish this. So we now have a totally free market, at least for, you know, the interim until the NCAA tries to uh, appeal this or, or go back to Congress. Why don't you think the acronym of NIL ever really became name image likeness like I, I guess my question Dan was okay bo boom Zach Eady name image likeness he's gonna have whatever an autograph signing at the Purdue bookstore or you know he's gonna go to the local you know whatever Buffalo Wild Wings and do some autograph giveaway there it seemed like name image likeness never really became that like you've earned it at the college therefore you can benefit off of that um 
why don't you think NIL ever really ended up being the acronym that it is? Um, I think I, how I understand your question, at least, I mean, I, at least under NCAA rules now, and obviously we're having a conversation, the NCAA rules might not exist, but you weren't allowed to get just paid money. You had to perform some type of services. You had to, you know, and I think in the first few months of NIL, it was that you had to have some type of endorsement that you were tied to some type of marketing activation. And then what it's since become um, for better, or for worse is that people found ways to get around it, that you, you could basically get paid for the right to use your NIL and maybe some uh, collective, some type of, you know, partnerships weren't really using a player's NIL and exploiting it the way that was initially conceived. And let's say they were getting paid, I'm going to make up a number here, right? $3 million for one Instagram post. And it's not really market value. So people just said that was kind of sham consideration. Um, And these collective payments, I think people are pointing to as saying, this is not true name, image, and like. This is not Gatorade. This is not, you know, Adidas. It's not one of these big companies. It's just somebody's getting paid. And on paper, it's saying that their name, image, and likeness is being compensated. But when, you know, I I don't think anyone's... Instagram post is worth $3 million or a million dollars or anything like that. So I, I think that's what it kind of developed into for better, or for worse, that athletes were getting paid in ways that their services didn't really account for those, you know, those type of payments. But, you know, at least on the books of the NCAA, yes, they, they were getting paid for services, but maybe those services weren't quite worth what they were getting paid to do. Dan Lust with us here on the uh, Payless Liquors Hotline. He's a law professor at the New York uh, Law School. He's also the host of the podcast Conduct Detrimental at Sports Law Lust if you want to follow him on Twitter. What's the time frame here or the next move? How long uh, is this injunction going to last that NIL collectives can basically do whatever they want? Well, it's going to stand until the NCA, you know, choose to file an appeal or they go to Congress or, or, or otherwise. I mean, there's certainly were where they let this go. I, I don't I don't necessarily see it. And I think what we should point out here is that, um, you know, originally this was filed by Tennessee's attorney general and Virginia's attorney general. They filed for this temporary restraining order and they lost. Right. They lost about a week or two ago. And they, they made what we would call a supplemental briefing, a supplemental filing, almost like a motion for reconsideration. And they won. So, you know, they've tried twice. The first time they lost, the second time they won. So if you were to tell me, hey, it's the rubber match, the NCAA is going for best two out of three here, mm. that wouldn't shock me. Um, and, and I would be surprised if the NCAA took this sitting down, right? You guys would know. I mean, the NCAA has their HQ over in Indianapolis. They right. certainly pay these high salaries to do something, right? You, I'd be very surprised if they sat on their hands and did absolutely nothing here. So, you know, let's see what this time frame is. I mean, the other part of this equation, there is nothing stopping another state's attorney general from filing the same lawsuit, be it in New York, where I'm from, or in Florida, or in Texas, or any of these other states. So I think, you know, once another state gets the whiff that the NCA might be trying to challenge this, I would go right to court. You know, this is very much a politically motivated world. And if you want to be the attorney general in another state that helped put the nail in the coffin, you know, you, you would want to file the same lawsuit that Tennessee and Virginia just had some success on. And the courts are saying that they're likely to win on the underlying merits. They just might not win on this early, you know, we'll say interim procedure, which is a temporary restraining order. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the battlefield is not yet done yet, but I I think this is a big shot across the bow that the NCAA is probably going to lose this case in the long run. But this might be Band-Aids, patchwork, whatever you want to call it. But the courts are certainly saying that the NCAA is going to lose this in the long run. But I don't think the NCAA is done fighting this in the short run. Dan, last one for me. The NCAA, you know, a few years ago, you mean, you mentioned when uh, all this, the NIL, you know, stuff really started to pick up. The NCAA was so against it. Do you feel like if they would have worked with institutions, had, you know, actually had rules, uh, not been tardy in creating rules, and worked with NIL programs and collectives, that some of this nastiness could have been avoided? Or do you think we always were going to end up with this being a fight in the courts? I'm, I'm really happy you asked that. And it's a point that gets lost a lot now that we're almost, you know, three years into this world. The NCA was very slow to act. The first domino here was 
really a case, the Ed O'Bannon case, you know, now, now dating back almost 10 years, but it was that NCAA video game case that basically said that players have a right to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. That's been on the books for almost 10 years. So we can go back and say, hey, July 1, 2021, the NCAA was caught flat-footed. They didn't know what to do. That's just not the case. That's just not factually true. The NCAA had plenty of time to prepare for this, and they dragged their feet. And what happens is, when you know, truthfully, state law, um, be it California, Florida, a number of different states, about half the states across the country, pass their own versions of NIL law with slight variations that created this kind of fragmented landscape, which led to the chaos that we're in right now. Tennessee's law might be different from New York's law and New Jersey's law and Florida's law. So those laws were only created because the NCAA failed to act and failed to recognize NIL. So yeah, I think NCAA had their own version of NIL. I don't think these states would have wasted all these resources trying to create the patchwork that was left but the NCAA abdicated the, the field. So, yeah, I think 100%. This is, you know, I'm, I'm from New York, guys, and I know you guys are football fans. This is very much like Plaxico Burr shooting himself in the foot. This is a self-inflicted <laughs> wound that was very much avoidable if the NCAA had just gotten in front of this, but they kept kicking the can, they kept punting, and then the state, state law, state actors came in and, and forced their hands. So I'm, I'm certainly not one that says we needed state government in this, but the NCAA left really no alternative for the space. Dan, last one. How many states will you will fall in line, you think, with Tennessee and Virginia? Is this pretty universal across the entire U.S.? Well, the question is whether a state wants to waste the resources filing this type of lawsuit. If they think that Tennessee and Virginia's attorney general have done enough and the NCAA is going to act on their own, they're not going to do it, right? It's, it's always a question of budgets and who wants to waste the time filing these lawsuits. Um, you know, I, that's, that's, I think, the waiting game here. Do I, do I think all 50 states could do this? Yeah, I do. But I do think there are more important things than, you know, uh, college basketball or college football. Um, but I, I would expect at least one or two other states follow the lead. There was a big case in North Carolina about transfer restrictions and eight attorney generals uh, joined that case. So um, that, that does show you there's an appetite for further attorney general action. So I'd be surprised if no other states filed suit um, You know, at this point. Well, if you want to get elected in SEC country, you'll know uh, what no to kidding. do on that end. Dan Lust, Sports Law Lust on Twitter. Dan, always enjoy our convos. I know they don't happen too often, but great stuff per usual. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. My line is always open. Happy to help, guys. Athletic, and I feel terrified for her right now because she's looking at her our uh, graveyard of headphones right now. I don't know. i got to be honest, Caitlin. I don't know if any of those headphones work. Yeah, I didn't know if any of them Your pop her mic on. I don't know if any of those work. I'm not sure your mic even works. Uh, welcome she started in. scrambling for them. I'm like, that's a disaster. Yeah. Don't even worry this about is, them. This is where it's a mucus Monday around here uh, on, <laughs> on the wake-up call. Uh, so you are going to, first of all, welcome to town. I know. Thank you. Uh, located in Chicago, yep. so you're familiar with Indian, obviously, uh, the NFL Combine. But coming up is the NFL Combine Meetup and Fundraiser. That's going to be on Friday, correct? Yes. It's going to be at the Sun King uh, here downtown on College Avenue. Tickets $25, I believe, at GiveButter.com. Proceeds benefiting the Million Meal Movement. What did I miss? What else do you want to add to yeah, that? Yeah, that's great. So we'll start with um, something. So Peter King, who is a legend in this business, who works for NBC now, he used to do this um, fundraiser for the last several years and he does a great job like emceeing it. We've got 
we'll have a panel of report, sports reporters there, NFL reporters, and we talk about the draft, we talk about NFL topics, but obviously you guys probably saw the news today, he is retiring, so he is Good not, I know, it's crazy, He's a, he was one of my biggest mentors in this business, I started off as his assistant, so um, it's a really special day that he's, he's retiring today, and so he bequeathed this fundraiser to me to now run, and I'm honored to have that responsibility, and so I will be like the MC of this event on Friday, and we've got Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated coming. Um, I made sure to get uh, Nikki Javala of the Washington Post, yep. who covers the Commanders, because they've got the second pick in the draft. We've got Pat Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times, because the Bears have the first pick in the draft. So we're going to be talking a lot. We've got um, Stephen Holder, who uh, covers the Colts sure. and is of ESPN. So we're going to have guests on these airwaves. Yeah, so we're going to have the Indianapolis Colts covered cool. as well. So we're just going to be a really fun Q and A, and then the Colts um, will be sending a player or a guest, and it's probably going to be Zaire Franklin. Um, we'll have that confirmed shortly. So there will be a Colts guest who comes by and we'll get to ask some questions and obviously anyone who attends is free to ask a question as well. So come prepared with your best hard-hitting questions for a Colts representative or for our NFL reporters to answer for you if you've got any burning draft questions. So it's a great um, beneficiary as well. Um, it's a local uh, food bank nonprofit that helps um, get shelf-stable meals to people who need them. That's so great. it's going to be an awesome time. Well, thank you. I, uh, first off, as someone that's a resident of the city, I mean, for you to obviously be a national person or you know whatever national publication for you guys to come in here and support a local philanthropic means a lot so appreciate that i know peter has been you know huge at sun king and yeah. treasures before um so i've always been a fan and the event itself is a great great time a perfect way to spend a friday evening zaire franklin who again we've had on our show several times is an awesome guest um for those that are unfamiliar, I guess, with what this week lays out, for you as a national reporter, Kayla, yeah. what is Combine Week like for you? It's like mayhem. I actually feel like unprepared for it because I've spent the last two weeks in a Caleb Williams like tunnel, just uh-huh. like trying to learn as much as I can about him and the team around him. And I, obviously, that is preparing for the Combine in a sense because he is probably the biggest storyline at this sure. Combine. And um, Ian Rappaport tweeted last night that Caleb won't be working out at this combine. He won't be throwing. He'll be waiting for his pro day to do that. So um, the quarterbacks work out on Saturday, which feels like 100 years from now. I mean, it's Monday. I'm <laughs> like, how are right. we getting to Saturday? Right. Um, but yeah, so I feel like I have not done enough prep on like other storylines uh, other than Caleb, um, which is okay. But, um, you know, you're just juggling a million things. You're trying to set up meetings with people that you want to meet while also trying to work around their schedule. And the schedule changes um, to put the workout in prime time uh, over the last couple of years have been difficult because the scouts are all available you know at, at, after 10 p.m. they're doing interviews until like 10 o'clock at night so it's kind of moved things later and some of them don't go out as much so you don't get to have the you know social interaction that you really come here for but it is a great week because you'll run into anybody like on my walk um, I was we have athletic meetings today and on my walk to the hotel where those are at I ran into Stephen Jones of the Cowboys and I'm like hey Stephen how are you good morning does you Jerry know? have his bus here yet he does I saw yes. it it's Right okay. outside of the, I think the Marriott is where they're at. It, um, okay. So right. it is parked here. That's, That's how you know. That's week is officially That's starting, how you know. Right? Yeah, you see the star on the bus. It's time. Yeah. So again, prospects start working out Thursday. Uh, for us, from a Colts-centric standpoint, Chris Bauer, Shane Steichen are going to meet the media Wednesday. We'll have Ballard on our show coming up 9.30 on Thursday. All right, Kalen, for those unfamiliar, Mark Dyke, which uh, I'm telling you, Mark Dykton, our producer, is a diehard Bears yes. fan. Oh, wow. And when he got wind that you might have a little Caleb Williams-y yeah. story, Bears-related, he got very, very, I would say, nervous excitement. Mark, yeah. On, uh-huh. on that end, do you care to maybe offer a yeah, tease yeah. to what you're uh, writing? Yeah, it's hard to describe in like one sentence, so apologies if I go on a tangent here, but basically, I'm sure you guys saw the Colin Cowherd report that his camp didn't want to play in Chicago. Um, I had been hearing things similar to that, and so I was like, I need to know more about this player. Not not necessarily from an on-field perspective. I think we can all agree he's very, very talented and is probably going to be very successful in the NFL. But I wanted to know more about who's around him, who's the team around him, what do scouts think of his dad, because his dad, Carl, is a big influence. He's been running his sort of NIL show for several years now, and that's the other thing that's so fascinating about Caleb is we've never seen a player enter the NFL as an NIL megastar in the way that he has. Like his whole college career, he's basically been able to benefit from name, image, and likeness. And he really has. He's had deals with Wendy's, with Nissan, um, you know, with major brands. And he's made like several million dollars, which is just different than 
any player who's entered. So, you know, I was talking to the NFLPA's executive director who's new in his role, Lloyd Howell, and I was just asking him, you know, how does that make players think differently? And he was like, you know, it totally changes the way they think about negotiation, the way they view themselves, because they view themselves as being valuable before they even play. Whereas I think previously a player might be like, oh, I got to prove myself first on the field before. But for Caleb and his camp, it's like, no, whoever drafts him, they see an instant increase in that franchise's value. So, which they're not wrong, right? Like you're instantly going to be selling jerseys. You're going to get the fans into whoever gets him. So I wanted to take a look of like, okay, what, what do teams think of this team around him? Is anyone concerned by the fact that these reports have come out like is there going to be an Eli Manning situation I don't think there is and I think my conclusion it's crazy I talked to like 21 people who know Caleb or Carl did everything I could and like barely anyone would talk on the record it's like everyone is afraid of saying anything right now so it was very hard to come to any strong conclusion but I think if I did have to like pull any like one sentence thesis from this it's that I believe he will play in Chicago if the Bears draft him. But I think the consensus among the people around him is that they would probably rather someone else drafted him. Interesting. Yeah. So, and it's tough to like, I mean, like you know. Washington, New England, or I, I don't Was- I'm I would to look say probably order. Washington. Because he's from there, correct? Yeah. And, and the ownership there is very interesting. New ownership has a lot of money in other businesses. That's a that's an important key here yeah. is like not all NFL owners are the same, right? Like some of them, such as the McCaskies who own the Bears, that's their business. They don't have other businesses. This is this is it. And it's a great business, probably worth seven billion dollars, right? right? But like um it they don't have other things to offer. Um and the CBA as it's structured right now is very, very limited in what you can offer a player outside of the playing contract. You can, I think you can pay them like for five marketing engagements a year and it amounts to like $9,000 a piece for each appearance. So it's like minimal money we're talking here, but there is like a movement happening kind of underground right now of like the new owners who are interested in finding out a way to pay players in other forms. Right. And like, There was a report this summer that um, someone from Caleb's camp, and this is a big part of the story, was looking for equity in a team when they were talking to agents because they didn't hire an agent, which is also really important. They do not have an NFLPA certified agent representing Caleb. Um, They've got other people around him, but no one who is NFLPA certified contract negotiator. So over the summer, there was a report that came out that someone in his camp was asking for the possibility of Caleb getting equity in the team that drafts him. And I think that's really interesting. And then like shortly after that, NFL owners voted to not allow partial ownership to non-family members. In July, they voted. So it's like he hasn't even played in the NFL and he's influencing owner's actions already. Yeah. So it's going to be super interesting. It's nothing, I don't think anything immediate is going to change, but I do think the NFLPA is like really interested in some of Carl's ideas about equity in particular, because at the Super Bowl, the executive director talked a lot about the idea of players getting equity in the league instead of individual clubs. So that was a long answer, but um, Caleb brings up a lot of really interesting topics of how player compensation could change. Wow. So he, he doesn't have an agent then. No. That, that reminds me of him uh, and Marvin Harrison. It, it like, reminds me of uh, right? Lamar Jackson really paved, yeah. really paved the way for that when he was uh, coming out of Louisville. Kaylin Kaler with us here from The Athletic. Again, if you go to givebutter.com, that's the website, correct? Uh, yeah. To get those tickets. I've retweeted that. It's on our account as well. Uh, that's coming up Friday. The NFL Combine Meetup and Fundraiser at Sun King downtown Indy location uh, on College Avenue. By the way, if you see Jerry Jones, is Jerry one of the ones who may want to move uh, the Combine from Indianapolis to I, his compound in Yeah, Dallas? I'm sure he would love that. Yeah, yeah. Sure and they had the Shrine game there this year, and from what I could tell, scouts were like raving about how that went down because they've got everything there that you need. But I mean, I think Indianapolis yeah, also does, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't really see a huge difference between those two locations. Uh, your quarterback, too, is who right now after uh, after Caleb? What do you think? I think it's Drake May. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people really like him. Um, you know, I don't think the bear. I don't think the Bears can draft him simply because he's a UNC quarterback again. And, and you know, <laughs> that's a point. terrible. Yeah. That's Fair a point. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible logic. But I do think like they just can't go there. So um, yeah, I would. I think it's Drake May. Um, 
it'll be interesting. You know, I don't know. Did they? I don't know. Did a report come out of Drake is going to be throwing? I saw because Jaden's not. Yeah, Jaden said they said he wasn't. I don't remember if I've I, seen it. I did. I did see Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. They were. We're, we're both going to throw yeah. a out and do yeah, a bunch I haven't of stuff seen this week. Drake May specifically. And the Marvin Harrison Jr. one is interesting as well. He is, and Albert Breer had this today. And you mentioned Albert Breer is going to be at the yep, event coming up Friday there. night. Marvin Harrison Jr. is not training for the combine or his pro day. He is strictly training for the football season for next year. I think you hear from a lot of these guys this week. Your first three or four months post-college football season, you're training for a decathlon. Yeah. You're training for a track meet. You aren't training for a football season. And so Marvin Harrison Jr. said, no, I'm not even going to work out of the combine. I And again, you have to have Marvin Harrison Jr.'s resume to be able to totally. do this. But he's basically saying, I'm going to be getting ready for next football season. Mm-hmm. So he won't even work out Ohio State's pro day. That's a little bit of a twist. That is really different. We've seen, we've seen guys forego the combine testing here, in yep. Indy, but then do stuff at their pro day. So that, I think... Is a storyline for this week. Colts related. I want to make sure we threw in a question yeah. there. Anthony Richardson from afar. I know it was a small sample size, uh, but any interactions you've had Colts wise over the last year? Just your general yeah. thoughts on Anthony Richardson. And I mean, I was really impressed with Anthony, and it feels like a hundred years since he's played football, right? Like, oh yeah, my gosh, like him and Joe Burrow. It's like we just forgot that they exist. Like nationally, it's like you know, with with all the other quarterbacks to continue the season, and um, yeah, it just it's it was ter- it was so disappointing that he especially got when C J Stroud have the season. Like yeah, I mean, so I think it's really exciting. I mean, I think that the Colts are in a good position for next year. I mean, they've got the fifteenth pick in the draft. They've got an incredible amount of cap space, right. six most million, in the league, yeah. I think. So that's that bodes well. Um, and then they've got a pick in every round after the first round, I believe. And so. You know, you're going to come out of this draft with some really good young rookies and you've got a super talented quarterback, I believe. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he grows. Um, you know, and I think like maybe they'll take a receiver in this draft. Maybe Brock Bowers will still be there. I don't know if he will be at 15, but like that would be a really interesting pick. And even if he's not like this is a great receiver draft. We say this every year, but it actually it really is like even if the top three guys are gone, you've got another LSU receiver, um, Brian Thomas, who should still be there. So I think they're in a great position for next season. Again, Kalen Kaler from The Athletic. One more time to plug Friday night. By the way, you're going to love Zaire Franklin, whether you want to ask yeah, him about I've never met him. Oh, local topics quote. or okay, national great. league-wide stuff. He'll be standing, but I want to make sure we get the nuts and bolts for Friday night. 6 o'clock, yep. Sun King. Yep. Where can people get tickets? Um, givebutter.com. Uh, we will tweet that link out. I'll tweet it out. I haven't yeah. tweeted it out yet. It's in Peter's column as well. Um, but yeah, we'll all be tweeting that out this week. And I think it, probably if you just Googled it as well, it would come up. Um, yeah, hope to see you guys there. And again, a little rundown on other guests besides Zaire. Um, Albert Breer, Nikki Jabal of the Washington Post, Pat Finley of the Sun-Times, Brandon Kristall of Denver Radio. Um, I think Ben Solak of The Ringer is going to be there. He's awesome with his Twitter cut-ups and um, film analysis. Um, myself, and then honestly, there's probably going to be a few more reporters there as well because... It's a long week, and people want to hang out on the end of the week on Friday. Friday night, Sun King, 6 o'clock. Yeah. There aren't many places better than that in Indianapolis. Kalen, thanks for stopping in studio. Hope, uh, thanks Indy for having me. Well. Thank you.